Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Lessons from Lazarus, Part 2. We're going to be in John 11, starting with verse 17 today. But to start off, I, somebody had sent me this a, a while ago, a story. I don't know if it's a joke or a story, but it's, it's perfect for today. Um, it says here, a couple from Minnesota decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to, to thaw out during the... Uh, I'm going to start this again. A couple from Minneapolis decided to go to Florida for a long weekend to thaw out during the particularly icy winter. They planned to stay at the same hotel where they spent their honeymoon 20 years earlier. Because both had jobs, they found it difficult coordinating their travel schedules. It was decided that the husband would fly to Florida on Thursday and his wife would follow him the next day. Upon arriving, as planned, the husband checked into a hotel. In his room, there was a computer, so he decided to send his wife an email back in Minneapolis. However, he accidentally left out one letter in her address and sent the email without realizing his error. In Houston, a widow had just returned from her husband's funeral. The dearly departed was a minister of many years who had been called home to glory following a heart attack. The widow checked her email, expecting messages from relatives and friends. Upon reading the first message, she fainted. The widow's son rushed into the room and found his mother on the floor and saw the computer screen which read, To my loving wife, subject, I've arrived. I know you are surprised to hear from me. They have computers here now. And you are allowed to send an email. I've just arrived and have been checked in. I see everything has been prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing you then. Hope your journey is as uneventful as mine was. P.S. Sure is hot down here. Bob sent that to me a, a while ago. So Now, that was the wrong email. But we're going to look at a story today of someone who really was dead. His name is Lazarus. And it was no joke what happened to him. Now, we're really preaching through the book of Mark. And we got to Mark 11, which was the triumphal entry. But to really understand the triumphal entry, I jumped over to a parallel passage here. Because we're going to to really understand why the crowds are going wild and why the religious leaders are so angry. They have this murderous rage. In order to understand that, we have to jump over here to John 11 and see what happened just before. This isn't recorded in Mark. It's recorded in John, parallel passage, an event that happens just before the triumphal entry. And we started this last week. So if you weren't here, make sure you get the CD podcast listen. But we started on this last week, and we're finding clues to why there's two divergent responses to Jesus entering Jerusalem. But along the way, as we look into this and why there's two different responses, as we do this, we found some very vital faith lessons, some things for us. He, Jesus is teaching the disciples and the people in this, this historical story, but he's also teaching us some very important lessons. We saw, first of all, how something really bad happened to Lazarus. Even though Jesus loved him very much, closest friend, loved him very much, but something bad happened to Lazarus. He died. And we talked about how we can't measure God's love for us by outward circumstances. 
You ever tempted to do that? But we can't do that. There's one thing that jumps out at us from this story here. We also saw how God often lets his children suffer for a spiritually positive reason. He lets us go through suffering. And how God's love is not contingent on how fast he moves. Remember how he waited and waited two days to even start heading over to help Lazarus out? He, he, God, his love is not contingent on how fast he moves in our life. His delays have a loving purpose. We hate them, right? <laughs> That's the whole problem. He's working on something, right? But, but there, there's a loving purpose. It's to grow our faith to strengthen us spiritually. He waits and lets us go through these spiritual struggles. We talked about the butterfly in the cocoon and, and how you can't help the, but, the, the butterfly out of the cocoon. If you do, it'll never fly. Sa something else I thought of too, same kind of a story, is um, when I was on the farm, we had chickens, we had a lot of animals, but chickens, and when the chicken, baby chick is coming out of the egg, you couldn't help it. Because what happens if you help it out? Can't walk. Because their, their, leg, their, their legs are not set in the socket properly, little baby chick. And, and as they're fighting their way out of, leg, fighting their, way out of the egg, they, their leg is pushing, pushing. And that's what pushes the leg into the socket. And sometimes, sometimes we would be like, oh, I feel so sorry for the chick. He's been in there so long. He's going to die. And sometimes they do. There's, there's, sometimes they die. But, and, and I know there's always stories you can go on the internet and find, I let my chick out and it was fine. It, occasionally that happens. But usually they can't walk. And what we would do is we would feel sorry for it and we would tap on it and we'd break it open and get it out and we'd be so excited we saved that little chick but couldn't walk the leg would be be off those two legs off to the side and it would just flop around and and that's because that struggle is what strengthened it and it's very important that we don't we talked about this last week we don't try to escape what god is trying to put us through or rescue someone or enable someone because if we do if we rescue someone or enable someone and keep keep them from going what they need to go through spiritually, they'll never learn to walk. They'll never learn to become who they're supposed to be. We actually cripple them. We spiritually, emotionally cripple people and ourselves if we bypass what God is trying to do. And we also looked at the lessons that Jesus was teaching his disciples. How God often leads us. Remember the disciples' story? They didn't want to go to Judea. How God often leads us to a place of testing a place of trial, a place that we really don't want to be. Anybody in a place like that right now? But he does it so that he can grow our faith and how we never need to fear. When we're in that place, we never need to fear. Not even death itself, because what did we talk about? Christians don't die. We just take power naps. We saw this from the story, right? Take the power nap. And, and we also looked at, finally, how these little steps of faith that God calls us to take, when we take them, and these little steps of obedience, if we take them, prepare us for much bigger spiritual struggles and spiritual battles. And it's very important that we walk these steps and, and are obedient and we walk through these steps that God is calling us because he's, he's preparing something in our life. And if we say, oh, I'm not going to take these steps, we turn around, there's another staircase. We got it. We got to take them. God is, has us on this spiritual journey. And now we're going to see today that Jesus teaches Mary and Martha some vital faith lessons that are also for us today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for bringing each of us here. 
Because we know we're here because you want us to hear something from your word and you want to teach us something. and You want to move us forward in, in, our, in our walk, our spiritual walk and in our faith. We pray for your mercy and grace to hear and we pray for your Holy Spirit to, to touch our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick up the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing again today, but let's pick it up with verse 17. And I'm going to read 17 on here till probably 44, because we'll get the flow here. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again at the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to, to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, By this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said to this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let them go. And I'm just going to read one more verse because I'm going to refer to it. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in him. We're going to hit that next week. But verse 45 I'm going to mention. So there's something very easy to miss in the excitement of this passage. I mean, what's the focus of this? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, right? Wild, and four days, and there's a reason for the delay. Wait till we hear that next week. We're going to hit that next week. But the excitement of seeing Lazarus raised from the dead, that's all we can focus on. But, but we, if we do that, we miss a very amazing thing that Jesus does to bring Mary and Martha 
to a deeper faith. We miss a very important lesson that he uses to bring them to deeper faith. And it's also for us too. Many of you have heard of the book, The Five Love Languages, right? Five Love Languages. And it's a must read for every, everybody. Everybody, especially every marriage, but everybody. Parents, everybody. But The Five Love Languages, there's five different main love languages that we all speak and seek. Uh, let me see if I get them all right. One is uh, time. One is touch. One is... Help me. Gifts, gift, gift giving, words of affirmation, acts of service. Thank you. Those are the five love languages, and all of us fall into that category. Some of us need more than, than you know, one, but we all have one real important love language, and the only way that we feel love is when someone speaks that language to us. Yeah, say if we're married, our spouse, they could, if our love language is time and, and they're giving us gifts, it doesn't mean anything. I mean, it means something, but not what really we really want is time. Same with your kids. If your kids really need time and you're giving them gifts, it doesn't mean much to them. We have to figure out what everybody's love language is, and, and that's the language we have to speak. And it's hard because it's often not our natural thing. We naturally do what comes easy to us, what, what our love language is. That's what we give out. But we have to learn to see what other people's love language is and speak that language, okay? So, having said all that, if you want to make sure your kids or your spouse or your friends or anyone that you're, you want, if you want to make sure someone feels love, it's important to speak their love language. Jesus speaks our love language. He proves his love to us all the time, but there's a lot more than five. There's 7.3 billion love languages that Jesus speaks. Because everybody is unique in a different way. We're all unique. We have a different life place that we're in and a different personality. And so not only does he have to know the five love languages, but he has to know 7.3 billion love languages because we're all so unique. But he speaks our love language. And this is important to start watching how he does this in our life. He knows how to speak our love language. He speaks it because he wants to prove his love to us. So that when he does put us in trying situations, the trials that are going to refine us and, 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 and make us golden spiritually, that we will trust him. Think of what in our life, God, how he speaks our love language. I know mine, how he, how, how he encourages me and, and how I develop trust in him. And then that allows me to go through the hard times when it doesn't go my way. I say, well, I know God must have a reason for it because he's been speaking my love language all these years. That if this is happening, there's got to be a spiritual purpose in it. We do the same thing with our kids, right? If our kids need their tonsils out, say they need to get their tonsil out, some kind of surgery. Typically, if you just grab a kid off the street and say, here, I'm going to take you to the hospital. I'm going to do this to you. They're, they scream, you're not taking me to the hospital. But, but our kids trust us because why? We've held them and we've changed their diaper and we've fed them and we've taken them to... Places to eat, you know, and we've done all kinds of fun things with them. And, and they trust us. So that we take them for surgery, even though they're a little scared, we're holding their hand, they go in, they're going to sleep and all that. It, they, they trust us because of our relationship. And that's the same picture spiritually. Jesus speaks our love language so that we'll trust him when he has to put us through that painful, suffering, refining time that we all have to go through. Let's look at how Jesus ministers to Martha and Mary. Now, before we get into that, I want to jump over to Luke 10. In Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, there's a story of Mary and Martha that shows what their personalities are like. 
Maybe some of you can relate to these here. Uh, Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on the way, they ca he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who, at the, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister... Even Jesus had to put up with this, right? Uh, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary was, has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So we see that Martha, before we even get over here to John chapter 11, we see that Martha is a doer, right? She's a doer. Any doers here? She's goal-orientated. She's got to get this done. Mary is relational. And Jesus uses this to teach a spiritual lesson. But having said that, that doesn't mean that Martha is bad or Mary is better. That's not the point. Just spiritually, there's a time to sit at Jesus' feet. That's what he's trying to stress here. But both are very, very important, aren't they? If we just have relational people, we have relational people out there talking in the lobby, and, and that's great, you know, they're handing out bulletins and talking, and I, I love it. But there's also people that do things, you know, and if you only have people that talk and nobody does anything, nothing's going to get done, right? I think of my own kids. If I, I love hanging out with my kids and doing, having a good time with them, but if I want the lawn mode, I offer 10 bucks to the doer in the family, right? Otherwise, they mow half the lawn, and they break the, the weed whacker, and it's a mess. Because they just so focused on getting back to hanging out, you know? So, so just want to say that. If you're a doer, it doesn't mean you're spiritually inferior in any way. That's not the point. The point is, though, even if you are a doer, we still need to sit at the feet of Jesus, okay? Back to Martha. Let's just, let's just read this part here. Uh, back to John chapter 11. And we'll read it again. Verse 17 on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now the Lord will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Once again, Martha is a doer. What does she say? Jesus, you could have done something, right? You could have done something. She's that real go-getter. She likes to make things happen. You know, some people like to make things happen. Some people watch things happening, and some people wonder what happened, right? So she is, she is the one who makes things happen. And what, why, if everyone is just sitting around, she, she just talking, that's torture to Martha. Right? They're just all sitting around talking. That's torturous. What, we, let's do something. Let's get this meeting started. Right? Uh, she's impulsive. She speaks her mind. Maybe you know somebody like this. Luke 10, we already read it. She gets a bad rap. The bad, the bad rap is that Martha's too busy for Jesus. 
But like Thomas, remember we talked about Thomas having the twin a few weeks ago? She has a twin too. Don't just put her in the box, Martha's too busy and spiritually unfair. That's not, she has a twin. Let's look at her twin here, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Even now. Even now. No one had ever asked Jesus to raise somebody from the dead before. He had done it, but no one had ever asked him to. They had asked him to heal the sick and cast out the demon. No one had ever asked him to, to raise somebody from the dead before. What does that show she has? Faith. That's faith. Now, she did waver at the tomb. We read that. She wavered at the tomb. We're going to see that next week. But who wouldn't waver at the tomb? It's still amazing faith. And how does Jesus meet her need? How does he meet her need? Look what he says to her. Your brother will rise again. What is he really saying? I can do it. I will do it. He's telling he's going to do this, right? And a doer, and this is what's important to understand, speaking the love language here for her, a doer will keep doing as long as you give them assurance and hope. Because they want to know, why am I doing this? Right? A lot of doers out there know what I'm talking about. Why am I doing this? You just have to have a reason for it. You have to have assurance that it's, it's, it's making a difference. And that's what he was giving to, to Martha. They've done experiments. I don't hope nobody does this at home. But with mice, swimming mice. If you take a mouse and you drop it in a bucket of water, don't do it. But if you do, it will swim for about two minutes. And at the end of two minutes, it will go under the water and drown. But as that mouse is going underwater, if you take that mouse by the tail, if you take that mouse and you pull it out of the water, just for a couple seconds, let it get its breath, let it breathe, let it get, get its breath, and you pull it out and you drop it back in the bucket, guess how long it will swim? 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Why? Hope. You've just given that mouse hope. Exactly. You've given the, the mouse hope, and it will keep on going. And, and, and that's why Jesus, that's what he gave to Martha. He gave her hope. He knows exactly what we need. You know, I'll, I'll preach on a Sunday, and I'll preach, and I'll have, you know, preach a passage, and someone will come up and say, wow, the Holy Spirit was speaking right to me. I felt like you are just talking to me. The Holy Spirit was speaking through the word, and this is what he told me. I said, wow, that's awesome. I didn't even say any of that stuff, but this is what the Holy Spirit said to them. Someone else will come up to me, same sermon, and say, this is what the Holy Spirit was telling me. It's something totally different. It's because the Holy Spirit takes the word and applies it to our hearts and lives in exactly the way we need it to be. As we hear this, the, the words quoted and, and preached on. That's what God does. He speaks exactly what we need. And that's what he did with Martha here. And now that Jesus has spoken her love language, he's reassured her of his love, right? He follows up with a spiritual lesson for Martha and for us. 
Verse 25, the spiritual lesson. Now that he's assured her, he gives the lesson to her. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He says, I have the power. Something horrible has happened, but I have the power over life and death. You don't have to be afraid of death. You don't have to be like those who don't know Christ. He has the power over life and death. And what is the proof? We're going we, to see it. He raises Lazarus from the dead. And what's another proof? He himself comes back from the dead. That's his proof that he has power over life and death. And notice something. He doesn't say, I can give life. He says, I am the resurrection. I am the life. He doesn't say, I can give life and resurrection. He says, I, that's what I am. I am interesting where he comes up in, in the book of John there's many great I am statements and, we, and he gets this from guess where Exodus yes Exodus 3 in Exodus 3 starting with verse 13 he's actually quoting something Moses said to God suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I just am. And that's really God's name. I am. He just is God. He just is the one and only. And so when Jesus is, says I am the resurrection, or I am the bread of life, or I am, when he makes these statements, the reason the religious leaders get so angry and want to kill him, notice that every time he does this, they're out to kill him, every time he says, I am, they knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be divine. He was claiming to be God, and that's what she confessed there, right? I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. A spiritual lesson. If we believe in Jesus, we will live even if we die. Pepsi. When Pepsi went into Thailand some years ago, they had the slogan in the USA that they just took and, and translated into Thai over there. Remember, come alive, you are in the Pepsi generation. Remember that? Well, some of you probably can still sing it, right? Come alive, you're in the Pepsi generation. Well, they took it to Thailand, they introduced Pepsi, they're going to do great in, in there, except they were horrified to find out that when it was really translated into Thai, it says, Pepsi brings your relatives back from the dead. Somebody got fired there, didn't they? But there was all kinds of lawsuits going on, you know. It didn't work, you know. So, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. And we will live even if we die. What? If we believe, if we put our, we will experience our own resurrection if we put our faith in Jesus Christ. He said, he who believes. And what does Martha say? She comes right back and says in verse 27, Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe. Do you believe? Do you believe? Have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know that you have life? Every one of us, if Jesus comes again, we're going to be taken up. That's why some won't die. It mentions there. But for those of us who die before Jesus' second coming, we will be resurrected. He will, he will resurrect us again. 
Actually, our spirit goes right to be with Jesus. That's a whole other sermon. Our spirit goes right to be with him immediately, but we'll get a new body at the second coming. Do you know for sure that you're not going to die? That you just take the power nap? <laughs> I call it a power nap because, you know, power nap, you just go to sleep quick and you're up and you're like, oh, I feel great. That's what, that's what Christians experience. We take power naps. We go to sleep and Jesus' power resurrects us, brings us back. Do you know you have that assurance that you're going to have life with Jesus Christ if you believe? John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God gave his Son to die on the cross in our place for the sin that we've committed. He paid for our crime. He took it upon himself so that we could be forgiven and so that we could spend eternity in heaven with God someday. Not only that, so we could have life right now, a real life, so we could be set free from sin and the effects of sin and Satan's power. We could be set free from the world's lies and the deceptions that it's constantly trying to brainwash us with. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, and the word believe in Greek isn't just intellectually know something. It's a lot deeper. It means to trust in. It means to think of a little baby. This is the best picture I can give you for the word believe. It means to cling to, to hang on to. Think of a little child who hangs on to its parents when it's scared. It just hangs on, and you let go, and they're still hanging there. You've probably experienced that. That's the picture of what it means to put your faith in Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, I believe. I'm hanging on to you. I'm clinging to you. I'm trusting you in you. I'm totally depending on you and what you did on the cross for me to get me right with God, your Father, and, and let me become a child of his and, and, and start a brand new life here and, and life forever with God someday. Do you have that life? Can you say like Martha, I believe. Mary's turn. Mary's turn and ours. Verses 28 to 37 is Mary. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who have... Open the eyes of the blind man, have kept this man from dying. So we have Mary here now. Remember Mary? We talked about her. She's affectionate. She's loving. Martha is too, but Martha shows it in a different way. They're both just as loving. They just show it different ways. Martha shows it by serving and by helping. But Mary's love language is time and touch. Remember, we already read about what she did with the perfume. She put it on Jesus' feet and wiped Jesus' feet with her hair. She's sitting at his feet, time and touch. And she's a, a people person. Look what happened in verse 31. Martha leaves and nobody leaves with her. They're like, oh, what? she's probably doing something. Don't follow her. She'll give you something to do. She'll put you to work. All right? But Mary goes out. What do they do? 
they all follow her out. You know, they want to be where she is. And verse 45, I read that earlier, the last one I read. They didn't come to visit Martha. They came to visit Mary, right? Because she has that magnetic personality and all. They're both beautiful women and, and, and awesome and both very important to Jesus, but different personalities, right? Just recognizing that. How does Jesus meet her need? He assures her. But in a different way, he assured Martha, but he assures her in a different way than he did Martha. He goes to the tomb with her, and he cries with her. That wouldn't have meant anything to Martha, but it meant a lot to Mary. He cries, goes to the tomb, he goes to her place of pain, and he cries with her. He shares her pain. He shows emotional empathy to Mary. I just was listening to the radio this week and it was Christian radio and some guy was telling a story about someone who died and it was a great illustration but they, they said something like this that there was a little boy whose neighbor had lost his wife and the guy was sitting on the porch and he was real sad he was an older guy and he's sitting on the porch and the little boy went over to the neighbors and, and the dad was watching and the little boy climbed up onto his lap and sat there a while then he got off his lap came back he said what what were you doing? What did you say? What, what, did you, what did you say to him? The little boy said, nothing. I just helped him cry. That's what Jesus is doing here. He reassures her of his love. How? By sharing the love in a way that she can feel. She, he speaks her love language. And this is a good lesson for all of us, isn't it? Whether it's our spouse or whether it's our kids or whether it's a friend or whether we're ministering to somebody in some way. Very important lesson here. A lot of times we just kind of run over people, don't we? <laughs> we're in a hurry. But yet Jesus showed us how to speak somebody's love language. Whatever that is. If it had been Martha, he would have had to pick up the, the, the dish towel and help her dry the dishes. That would have showed it to her, right? With Mary, it was crying with her. Everybody's different. Speaking people's love languages. It's hard because we tend to only speak the language that we can relate to, right? And he also, after he does this, after he reassures her of her love, he also teaches her and us a very important spiritual lesson. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. He, it's, it's always hard when you translate a language. The English doesn't really bring it out. He was, in the Greek, he wasn't just upset. He was fried by this. In fact, the Greek phrase here that's used, the Greek word phrase here that's used for this deeply moved in the spirit and the, the trouble bringing along with it is usually used of horses. Horses, when a horse snorts. You ever hear a horse snort? Well, you've missed something. I, like, oh, you didn't grow up on a farm like I did. I heard them snort. When they snort, guess what you do? You move quick because they're mad, right? When a horse snorts, they're mad, you know, and they're, you know, they're, they're like mad, and, and that's, uh, that's the best I can do. I'm better with cows, but anyway. Uh, but but that's, the, that's the word that... <laughs> you like that, huh? Now? So that's the word that... that uh, I'm not going to start on my animals. So anyway, the, uh, the, 
that's the word. It's a snort. Jesus snorted. And, and the idea is it was expressed, suppressed rage. That's what was underneath the word. When a horse snorts, it's mad. It's going to stomp you, kick you, do something bad, and you better get out of there. And Jesus was, was snorting with this. He's expressing suppressed rage. Jesus was mad. Why? He was mad at the damage that sin had caused. He was mad to see the suffering that sin had inflicted on these people, his friends. He was mad to see Satan's work in the life of these people. He was angry. It was, it was, he expressed this suppressed, suppressed rage. It made me think of, and I asked Patty if I could share this, it made me think of what happened with Nate Scheel in the accident. And after the, right after the accident happened, and we didn't know what was going to happen, it was a real scary time, I went on the news sites. A lot of you did too. I Googled and I watched what happened and you know, the people talking about it, and I, I read about it. And the, the rescue workers, the thing that happened to the rescuers, they were all deeply affected. It was like, I'll go home. We, they couldn't even function after this because what they saw in the accident. They were so shook up. They were sad and mad at the same time. They were just really angry because this drunk driver had hit this, this young man and his wife. They were just really mad that this drunk driver, that the effect of his sin, what it had done to somebody. And that's a picture of what Jesus was like at the tomb. Sad and mad at the same time. Now, the Marines were just mad. They had to hide the guy in the hospital from, from the Marines that were coming in to see Nate, right? Brian was telling me they had to keep him away because the Marines were just mad. I was out for a walk this week, and I like to go early in the morning for walks and pray. That's my time. And, uh, and I was walking, and it was almost the end of my walk. I was having this really peaceful prayer time, and I heard something as I was walking by the one house. I heard this noise, this thrashing. I look over, and there was a deer hanging in their fence. They had one of these high fences, metal fences, and there was a deer hanging in there. I'm like, oh, you stupid deer. So I went over there. He was thrashing around. I said, I'm going to go get him out of there. But I, as I was going to go up to get him out, and it was like panicking, you know, and kicking. And I was, uh, but as I went to go get him up, I noticed that his leg, the reason it couldn't get out is as it came down, there was two bars across, and one of the legs had gotten stuck into that bar as it jumped over the fence and had broken, had shattered the leg, had totally fractured it. Was, it was done. And I went, oh, because it, I knew it was painful. And I knew what it meant. That deer was dead. It's going to have to be put down. And I ended up, you know, talking to someone. They called the police, and they ended up having to come put it down. But the thing, as I was walking away, I was thinking, you know what? That deer could have eaten anywhere. There's woods all around these houses, everywhere. There's grass and bushes. There's everything. But it had to jump into the one place it shouldn't be, right? The one place that was dangerous. The one place that was destructive. And I was thinking, what a stupid... Huh. Reminds me of somebody. Me. All of us. Right? Don't we do that? God says, don't jump here. It's sin. Why does he say it? Because it's going to hurt us. Not because we're going to have more fun. He's not trying to keep us out of where we're going to have a lot of fun. But he knows it's destructive. He knows it might look good, but in the end it's going to destroy us. It's going to hurt us. It's going to steal our life. And, but we still decide to do that. 
And, and, and it's that same thing. That's what Jesus was, was upset about. And also in verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. Shortest verse of the Bible, Jesus wept. Jesus also cried. It's the shortest, but it's also one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. And then the word for crying here is not wailing hopelessly, but it actually means quiet weeping. Quiet weeping. That's what Jesus did at the tomb there. Why? Because he was sad, but he had hope. That's how Christians mourn, right? That's how we grieve. It's that, that hopeful crying. We miss the person, but we know they're with Jesus. And it's a different thing. Is it okay to cry? Yeah, real men do cry. Jesus cried. Don't ever apologize for crying, right? But why did he cry? They were tears of sympathy. Jesus is moved by our suffering. It breaks his heart. Do you understand? When we suffer, especially because of the sin, he, it, it, it breaks his heart. But even when it's for a good purpose, even when he allows us to go through suffering for a good purpose because it's God's will, because it's necessary for our spiritual good, spiritual surgery, refining. We've talked about this many, many times. He still hurts with us. He still hurts with us. He's still interceding. Read Romans 8. He's still interceding for us. He's still right there with us. Uh, Hebrews 4, he's, he's interceding for us. He's right there for, with us. He's, he still feels that pain with us, even when he knows he has to take us there. I think of shots when you take your kids for shots. I don't do that. Kim does. Uh, so when, when you take them for shots, they need that shot. And, and I know there's different you know, views on inoculations, all that, but, but, but let's say it's something we all agree on. They need this shot to, to not get something worse, right? They need it, but yet it's going to hurt to get that shot, right? It's going to hurt, or think of any treatment, it's going to hurt to get that shot. So Kim takes them, I never do, and she takes them, because, but some of them really freak out. They don't want that shot because they don't want that little pain. But she knows if I don't do it, it's going to be worse. So even though it's a good thing, she still hurts with them. In fact, the first one time I really remember hurting with them, she was pregnant with Joshua. It turned out to be Joshua. We didn't know who it was at the time. She's really close to have, you know, time. She's about a month, month from delivering. And... She took Ryan in for a shot. And Ryan didn't like shots. Ryan doesn't like any pain, right? And so she, she had, she, he was fighting the doctor. He fights like, you're going to have to hold him down. So Kim's like, oh my gosh. He was only, what, I don't know, five or whatever he was. She's holding him down. And the doctor's trying to give him a shot. And it was so difficult. She came home all waked up. She says, I'm never going to take Ryan for a shot again. And what is that feeling? And she went into labor. She had Joshua. Because she was holding, holding him, she, she had the baby early because she was fighting Ryan to not get a shot, right? Uh, she felt the pain. God feels the pain. He, he knows we have to go through it, but yet he feels that pain with us, that necessary pain. Maybe you're hurting this morning. How are we hurting? We're all hurting somehow. Maybe you've got some shocking news this week that nobody even knows about. Maybe you're facing a, a trial in your life. Maybe something that's going to really hurt. Maybe you're going through a crisis. Maybe there's a funeral on your horizon in some way. Do, you, do we realize that Jesus still loves us? That he still cares? That he cries? Do we realize that he will meet our every need? This is what we get from this story. That he will meet our every need. That he's speaking our love language. Even before we hit the hard times. He's constantly speaking our love language. If we will listen. 
If we can get quiet long enough, if we can be in prayer listening to him, if we could be in the word and, and reading his word, he is speaking our love language constantly, whatever that is. He's building that trust so that when he does have to put us through the painful thing, we won't kick and fight, but we'll accept it and we'll take it and we'll grow from it and we'll be purified and refined from it. And the biggest proof that he loves us, the biggest proof of his love language is what's sitting right behind me today. That's the communion table. Jesus gave his body and blood. He gave his body and blood for us, for our sin. He took our place. Somebody had to take it. If there's a crime committed, somebody's got to pay for it. Either we pay for it or someone else steps in and is our substitute. And that's exactly what Jesus did for the human race. He stepped in and is our substitute. He took the cosmic justice on himself. He took our punishment. Matthew 8, 17 says, This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our diseases. That comes from Isaiah. Isaiah 53, verses 4 to 6. Read it in context here. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. This was written 700 years before Christ. The prophecy of Christ, what he's going to do on the cross. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds. We are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He took the, the disease of sin. He took it all on himself. Jesus came to carry a heavy burden. That's why he snorted with indignation. He came to carry a heavy burden. That's why in Matthew 27, 50, Jesus is on the cross. The last thing that he, the last noise that he made, the last almost word that he uttered, verse 50, Matthew 27, verse 50 says, and when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. That's the last noise he made. He cried out in a loud voice. The last word, the last sound he made was his loud voice. And it makes me think of, of a weightlifter. You ever see these Olympic weightlifters when they're lifting something really, really heavy? And they lift it and they go, Ugh! Or they put it down and they scream out and they shout out. That's what Jesus did. He was shouting out from the, the burden the, and, and the weight of the cross and the weight of our sin is what he did. And do you know why he carried it? Because he loves us. He loves us. Yeah, he speaks our love language, but the very first word of love he ever spoke to us was when he died on the cross for us. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ took our place. We deserved to be on that cross dying. We deserve eternity in hell separated from God. We deserve that. But Christ took it on himself so that we can go to heaven. Christ took it on himself so that we didn't have to go on the cross. He took it on himself. But we must act on that love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. that that's what, Each of us, we are the world. God so loved the world. Put your name there. He loved, put your name in the, in, for the world. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We must act on that love. Have you ever acted on that love? And that's what we're remembering as we go to the communion table today. We're remembering what he did. What it is, it's remembering the body and the blood of Christ. The bread represents the body of Christ on the cross. The, the uh, grape juice represents the blood that he shed for us. It's remembering that. Do this in remembrance of me. And in a few moments, we're just going to play some worship music. And you can come down if you want to. You can come and take a piece of the bread and the cup and take it back to your seat. You can... However you want to do it, you can take it by yourself, you can take it with a family member, you can take it with a friend, however the Holy Spirit leads, but it's, but it's communing with God, we're, we're spending time with God. There's only two reasons why you shouldn't take it. The first one is if you're not a Christian yet. If you're not ready to believe in Jesus and give your life to him, don't take it. We don't, nobody's looking around, we don't take attendance, we're not videotaping. This is just between you and God. It's okay if you're not ready to give your life to Christ, wait for the next time. We'll do it every month, Okay. But I hope that everybody does put their faith in Christ. If you haven't, this is a great morning to do it. The second reason you shouldn't is if there's some sin in our life that we won't surrender. If there's something in our life that the Holy Spirit's convicting us and we say, no, God, you can't have that. I didn't say that we're struggling with because we all struggle with sin. On the way here, on the way home, we're going to struggle with sin. But it, it's not about struggle. It's about surrender. Are we willing to say, God, help me? I need your mercy and grace. Help me to fight this spiritual battle. Help me to keep on fighting this. But if we're just like, no, God, you can't touch this. I'm hanging on to this one. Then don't take it because we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy way. Very, very serious. But once again, I hope all of us can this morning confess and surrender and, and reconnect with God. Because it's not just about communion. This is just a picture of communing with God every day, all day long. Connecting with him and sin comes between us. Sin keeps us from being close to God. And that's why we, we ask forgiveness, and that's why we fight temptation. So nothing can hang us up on that fence, leaving us battered and bruised and separated from God's love. That's why. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe here today, and you've never put your faith in Christ, but the Holy Spirit is, spoke, is speaking to your heart right now. You can hear Jesus calling you that today's the day to put your faith in him, to give your life to him. You don't need a religious ritual. You don't need a religious person to help you. This is just starting a relationship with God through his son Jesus, and it just takes a prayer of faith. Just say, God, I repent of my sin. I want to turn away from my sin, the wrong that I've done, anything that goes against your word, anything I've ever done or ever will do. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for me. I believe he rose again from the dead for me. 
put my faith in Jesus. And I'm going to follow him. I give you my life, God. Forgive, faith, and follow. If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you are now God's child. And you're going to experience his love in a powerful way. Your life will never be the same because his Holy Spirit is in you. It's going to be speaking to you and convicting you and changing you in ways that you never thought possible. But the best part is you're going to experience God's love through his son Jesus. And you can now commune with him, connect with him, talk to him anytime. Any times, starting with the communion table, at any time we can commune with God now. He wants to spend time with us. He wants to talk to us. I want to encourage you to let somebody know if you've made that spiritual commitment. Maybe you have a friend here or a family member or tell me on the way out or fill out the card or text or call, email. Let somebody know. Because we'll be excited for you and and help you grow in your new faith. For the rest of us who have already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What spiritual lesson? Maybe it's just realizing the love language that God has been speaking to us. Learning to, to, to feel that and hear that and see that. Learning to trust his love. Maybe you're in a a trial right now that's testing your belief that God loves you because it's been hard or it's been long or he's delaying, he's waiting just too long. Maybe today it's just surrendering again to his love and what he's trying to do on our life and seeking his love and and, and knowing that he cares about us and he's crying for us and he's interceding for us and that we need to be communing even more with him in order to get through what we're going through. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would work through this communion time. In Jesus' name.